said on to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I hope that's your testimony this morning. You're glad you can be here. I know we're glad that you are here. And uh, so we just pray that God would bless our service here this morning and, and, uh, and uh, as we worship together. Mark and Heather are on their annual anniversary trip. So that's their second anniversary. So, they, so Mark's not here to lead us in worship this morning. So things are looking a little, dif- little different, but I'm sure it'll still be good. So... To get us started with some announcements, we have our uh, men's Bible study is Thursday night here at the church at 6.30. The ladies' Bible study is Tuesday night at 6.30 as well. The ladies are studying the book of James, and the men are looking at different doctrines in the Bible. So um, men and ladies, put those on your schedule. Um, Coming up, some events coming up in October. Saturday, October 16th, there's going to be a Secret Sisters revealing get-together here. So last while they've had Secret Sisters that um, they've been praying for each other. So they're going to reveal who, who, who that is on the 16th. So that's at 10 o'clock here on a Saturday morning. Um, so ladies, put that on your calendar. October 31st, we're going to have a Harvest Festival here. Um, there's uh, flyers like this. Out in the back there, some, I saw some on the table over at the children's registry, and there's also some on the desk um, right outside here between the double doors. So you can pick one of those flyers up. It's October 31st from 5.30 to 7.30 here at the church. It's going to be games, crafts, and candy, and there's um, more information. You can talk to Chad and Christine or ask around. Maybe somebody else can help you out too. So. Um, we're at the time of year when Operation Christmas Child is, we're packing shoeboxes, getting ready to pack shoeboxes and get ready for um, shoeboxes for Christmas. Um, Samaritan Purse runs that organization and, and there will be a collection day on Sunday. We don't have the date here yet. And there's flyers. If they're not here yet, they'll be coming shortly so you can pick up a flyer to uh, learn more about packing a shoebox if you're not familiar with it. And uh, so you can help out with that, that, uh, that organization. Also, if you have a prayer request this morning and you're here and you don't know who to talk to about it, but you really feel like you need prayer for it, you can write it down in this prayer request form that's out back there on the table. Just put it in the tithes and offering box, and that'll be, that'll be uh, prayed for. But certainly feel free to talk to somebody in person and ask for prayer if you have something on your heart this morning. So, With that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we are thankful this morning that you have brought us together here to worship you this morning. We thank you for each person that's sitting here in this auditorium. We thank you for each person that's watching online. And Father, I just pray that through the power of your spirit that you would just move through us today and that you would just minister to each of the different needs that are here and the needs of those that are at home. Lord, we just pray that you would um, give us soft hearts to hear your word as we hear the message from Pastor Corey. As we sing some songs together, Lord, I just pray that you would just um, help us to see that you are a mighty God, but you care about each one of us individually, and we can come to you with the things that are on our hearts, and we just thank you that you love each one of us and care for each thing that we're going through, and just pray that you would bless our service here this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning, church family. How y'all doing? Good. Let me get through, get these color-coded 
flyers out of the way here. See, normally I can just quietly, as Mark's singing, I can quietly just pick these up and put them away, you know. Hey, I know if you're here for the very first time, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and absolutely blessed that you came to join us here in person or online and just uh, may I, my prayer is that it has always is throughout the week is that as you come to meet uh, here, you come not because for any other reason than to hear from the Lord, to come and worship him and praise him. I want everyone else to just fade away, and I want you to just focus in on him. That's, that's the prayer, right? And uh, so we always try to keep the distractions down, and I'm going to try not to distract you as you worship the Lord, because I'm going to lead you in a cappella again. I know this is not what I normally do, as you know. I'm not a worship leader. But uh, we try to actually get someone to come up from uh, the Finger Lakes, Calvary Chapel Finger Lakes. They have like two or three. They're all booked, and so that did not happen. So... Uh, I think I'm string what, string C or D, you know, I'm a fifth string or whatever on the team here. But uh, I tried to convince some of the younger guys to come up and do it. They all just bailed on me. It's like, no way am I going to give them. Okay. I better hear you from the audience. Hey, please stand. Let us worship. These are older songs. So uh, for some of you, you're like, wow, I like these. And others are going, I don't know this song. The very first song is, is called, I Will Worship, and I know I'm taking a risk here, but you're supposed to echo. That's what that means with the little parentheses. You're supposed to echo what I sing, okay? Now, if you want to sing with me, too, you can do that, too, but let's see how we go. Father, we come to you, and as we, uh, to worship you, we want to soften our hearts through this time of just singing you truth, that we would uh, open our ears and soften our hearts, so when we open up your word, Lord, we're prepared and focused upon you, not if our stomachs are hungry, not the fact that the temperature's just right, or whatever it may be that can so subtly, maybe it was those intense fellowship conversations in the car on the way here, may all of those just dissipate, and we will just worship you with all of our heart, our mind, soul, strength, Lord. It be all about you, in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> I will worship with all of my heart. I will praise you with all of my strength. I will seek you, I will seek you all of my days, all of my days. I will follow, I will follow, follow all of your ways, all your ways. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. I will bow down. I will bow down. Hail you as king. Hail you as king. I will serve you, I will serve you. 
I'll give you everything, give you everything. I will lift up, I will lift up my eyes to your throne, my eyes to your throne. I will trust you, I will trust you, I trust you alone, trust you alone. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone I long to worship. You alone are worthy of our praise. Praise the Lord. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love. My comfort, my shelter, tower of refuge and strength, let every breath, all that I am, never cease to worship you. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. The chorus again. Shout to the Lord, all the earth let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to our King. Mountains bow down and the seas will roar at the sound of your name. I sing for joy at the work of your hands. Forever I'll love you, forever I'll stand. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you, nothing compares to the promise I have. Nothing compares to the promise I have. Nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Father, we just do.
shout to you from the depths of our inner man, our inner woman, that we would rise up here and shout of our love and our, our just awe of you, our King, our Majesty, our Lord, our Master. We worship you this day. And we shout that out. We don't hide it under a basket. We don't hide it because we can't sing. We don't. We want to. Because every, from our hearts as we sing to you, it's a sweet smelling aroma to you. And we want to please you. Why? Because you've paid the penalty for our sins. You have forgiven us of all of our sins. And we praise you by singing to you of our love for you. Nail-pierced hands, a wounded side, this is love, this is love. A holy heart was sacrificed, this is love, this is love. I bow down to the Holy One. I bow down to the Lamb. I bow down to the Worthy One. I bow down to the Lamb. The Son of God, He died for us. This is love, this is love. He walked the hill, He bore the cross. This is love, this is love. I bow down to the Holy One. I bow down to the Lamb. I bow down to the Worthy One. I bow down to the Lamb. The chorus one more time. I bow down to the Holy One. I bow down to the Lamb. I bow down to the Worthy One. I bow down to the Lamb. Holiness, holiness, is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. Let's start to the beginning. Holiness, holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness, holiness is what you want from me. Faithfulness, faithfulness 
is what I long for. Faithfulness is what I need. Faithfulness, faithfulness is what you want from me. So take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. Righteousness. Righteousness is what I long for. Righteousness is what I need. Righteousness, righteousness is what you want from me. Brokenness, brokenness, brokenness is what I long for. Brokenness is what I need. Brokenness, brokenness is what you want from me. So take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. So take my heart and form it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it to yours, to yours, O Lord. To yours, to yours, O Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Let's try that one more time. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up higher and higher and he shall Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up higher and higher, and he shall lift you Higher and higher, and he shall live.
less of us and more of you this day. In the days to come, Lord, may we die more of self, self-denial, self is going and, and being less and less and less dominating in our minds and our hearts, Lord, and may it be more and more you as you sanctify our lives in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. I love helpers. I love people who remind me of things. <laughs> hey, ladies, there uh, no Bible study this Tuesday. Um, we're uh, all off to a pastor's conference. And uh, at this pastor's leaders conference, we can bring our wives. So, um, so we're, we're all going down to be fed uh, for the next three days in the Finger Lakes area. Uh, pray for me. I'm teaching on uh, one of those days at the pastor's conference, so uh, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's always a fun time to gather together uh, with those who are all over. They come from all over the world to this, this conference, so, um, so we're looking forward to it. It's like a reunion for me to see my, my fellow pastors that I don't get to see only maybe once or twice a, twice a year, so what a blessing that is. Well, I can tell you right up front, uh, and it's funny because we had a little chat with someone earlier. It was like, if I could pass over a particular verses in a, the Bible, it's, it's today in chapter 6, uh, specifically verses 4, 5, and 6. And you will know that if you read ahead, you know what, what the anticipation is. And we're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit gives me only the words that I need to speak and, uh, and see how this is going to go. Um, I, am, I, I can tell you right up front, I'm not here to debate on positions. I'm only going to teach what the scriptures tells me. And I'll let you settle that with the Spirit of God and, and, and your Savior, where you stand in your relationship with Him this day. And that's the main point, and I hope... That's uh, what comes across from my heart to you today as we study here uh, Hebrews chapter 6. I chose just to do eight verses just since I found out I was going to do worship at the same time. I said, well, let's see. How, maybe I'll just not push it. I was going to go 12 verses, but we're, we're going to be fine next week to go pick up a few more with communion next week. But we see here the essential nature of maturity. If you remember from last week, we saw at the very end of chapter 5, remember back in the day, this was one letter, one epistle. There was no chapter breaks, there was no verses, it was just a letter. And so you have to kind of remember as you read the Word of God, we have these to help us to teach and help us to learn and memorize and remember where it is in the letter that we're trying to memorize the verses. But for the purpose as you study the Word of God, just remember there's no chapter breaks and there's no uh, verse breaks. You just kind of read through the Word of God and make sure you keep it in context as you study the Word of God. And so to keep it, uh, an understanding what the context of this letter is and what the writer to the believing Hebrews are at that time and for us today, 
I'm going to draw your attention to chapter 5, verses 13 and 14, where we left off. And if you remember, it was all about spiritual immaturity last week. Um, so as you open up your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 6, and you see in verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 13, it says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for, the, for he is a babe. He's just an infant, a spiritual infant. And they're just whining and crying and trying to just, I just want something, you know. And it's the basics, the ABCs as we refer to it, uh, and the basic of what it means to be a Christian and, and, and who Christ is. In verse 14, but solid food belongs to those who are full age. They're mature. They're not, a, they're not spiritual immaturity individuals. These are believers are spiritually mature. You should be eating and, and going into the deeper things of God. You should be studying the Word. You should be deeper beyond just the, you know, you know who created the universe. Jesus, uh, who loves you? Jesus, you know, uh, you know, who made everything? Jesus, I mean, we got to go beyond that first grader, kindergarten kind of level, if you know what I'm saying. Because as an adult, a full age, a spiritually mature Christian, you should be chewing on the deeper things or solid food. Um, and that those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Because as you mature as a Christian, you'll be able to distinguish between good and evil. You'll be able to understand the things as you read the word and observe what's going on around you in life, in reality around you. You will have a biblical worldview of understanding how to deal with the complexities in the ever-changing life around you. If it's not you growing up physically and all the changes that take place, but then you're changing an individual. Now you're married and then you have kids and, and you went from high school and or preschool to high school to now wondering if it's college or not. And if it's not college, then what it is that, I, that God's called me to do? These are complexities of life that God says, I understand these things. I created you. I know exactly where you're at. I know all things, I see all things, and so you need to come to me and grow and mature in the knowledge and understanding of who I am and seek after me for all these things so I can guide your life. Stop leaning on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge me and I'll direct your paths. He's got you. As a child of God, he's got you. I don't know why you stop going to him on every little detail of your life. And every decision you need to make. Because that's what he wants. He's your master. He's your Lord. For many, he may be just a savior. But not Lord. This probably is going to speak to your heart today as we read through these scriptures. If he's not your savior, and he's not your Lord, then this is really going to speak to your heart. And I pray that the Spirit of God is going to so mightily move and touch your heart. If you're in those two capacities, you will turn your life over to Christ and surrender all. And let him be not only your Savior, but your Lord of your life. That's where you need to be. When you can say he's your Lord and literally live it, then you're talking to a mature Christian, a full-aged Christian. Are you with me? Again, I'm being very delicate here. 
if I, <laughs> if you can really truly say the Lord is leading your life day by day, then I'm talking to a mature Christian, a full-aged Christian. Did you notice I didn't say because you've been saying you've been a Christian for 10 years or 15 or 20, that doesn't make you a full-age mature Christian. You have to understand that. If you've been with me a while, you understand I'm repeating myself here. But here in this is important because now the writer continues his letter. That's why we see in Hebrews 6 verse 1, therefore, what I just told you, therefore, now there's an action here. This means you have to do something. This is not just hearing it. You must now apply this as a writer saying to these Hebrew believers. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, those ABCs we've been talking about, you're constantly just going in and hearing just the ABCs, how someone's saved and then how you get saved, and then what do you do and who is Jesus? Yes, he was buried or died on the cross and he was buried and resurrected. All those are very important foundational things. Don't get me wrong. But he says here, we're going to move on from these. We're not even going to deliberately talk about those right now. Because I want you to move on. Because you need to move on. You need to mature. You need to go on to spiritual maturity. As he says right here. Let us go on to perfection. That's what he means there. Let us go on to perfection. The, the Greek word there means maturity. We need to move on to spiritual maturity. Just because you guys saved, that is not the end of it. It's not a, a moment. To be saved is not just a moment. Is an absolute lifetime eternal decision and living. Are you with me? And this is what the Hebrew writer is saying here. He's trying to get across here. The writer's rebuking his readers because of their spiritual immaturity. They just think they're saved or they've got enough to believe they're saved. They've got the ABCs down so they can answer anyone who might ask a very simple question about their faith. And typically it's kind of played out. Are you a Christian? Yeah, I, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you love Jesus? Uh, I believe in Jesus. Doesn't everyone believe in Jesus? You know, you get these general things because they don't know what it means to, because it's not other personal relationship. It hasn't been growing. It's like a child sometimes when you'll say, where's your daddy? And, or we, they're looking for mom and dad. They don't, you know, they're young. They're just like, they don't know where. They just start screaming and crying just to someone to please come get me. But we see here, the writer says, we're going to move on from the ABCs and teaching of Christ. These are absolutely and critical, basic building blocks. As a child must have their building blocks and build up. It's necessary. Because if you do not have the basics down of Christianity, the inner circle, the core things of what it means to be saved and how to live for Christ and what it means to have a relationship, there is only a foundation. That's all you've built. But now the writer says, now you need to build a structure on that foundation. You must build a structure. Now we must get into deeper things of God. You need to read the whole counsel of God. 
You don't get to pick and choose what books out of the scriptures you want to accept or to read or to understand or to do. You need to read it from cover to cover. You need to see what the Lord has for you through this. And the Spirit of God is going to teach you all things that you need. And it will teach you at the appropriate age. It's like here. You have, we have kids going to their own age groups because we teach the word at the appropriate level for them to understand. But when I'm teaching someone in the preschool and they know the basics of who Christ is, and then I come into an adult, and unless they're a brand new believer, just gave their life to Christ, then I'm going to teach them the same things to that adult. It is so easy when you're in a child in a children's ministry, you know what age you're dealing with. They've only been alive for six months to a year to two years or five years, six you kind of get a gauge where they may be. It's not as easy when it comes to adults. Because many times adults will have a veneer. They have always heard about Christianity. They've heard about Jesus. They've heard about this thing of church kind of thing. They've always heard of it. But they never lived. They know of him but they don't have a personal relationship with him. How do you know who, which one that is for someone? You probably won't know except for maturity through fruit bearing from their lives, spiritual fruit, that you will be able to kind of confirm that. And the spirit that lives within you will confirm it with the spirit that lives within them. It's the same spirit, same Holy Spirit. So I say this because we can't always tell. It's only the Lord knows in many things. And we do not know. But the writer's calling them, it's no longer let's talk about the ABCs. Let's go to perfection. It's not meaning you can be perfect on this side of, of, uh, of, of heaven. What he's saying here is we need to mature. We need to have a, be a place of spiritual maturity in Jesus Christ. The Greek word here for perfection is teleotis, which means it means to understand where we're just growing into this maturing. We talked about sanctification process. And he brings out here in the letter here at the end of verse 1, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, and of doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. He writes out here six fundamental truths of Christian life, all of which are foundational, and there should be solid in everyone's life who gives their life to Christ. You should learn those six things as a, as, as a starting point of, of laying a foundation. And this is a challenge, if you will remember, here's Jewish, um, Jewish believers. That's who the Hebrews are, right? These are people who are in Judaism. They come to know Jesus Christ. They follow Jesus Christ. And now they're being enticed to go back to the religiosity of Judaism. They used to follow the law in the scriptures by the T. 
sacrificing the animals to cover their sins, dietary, you can't, everything has to be kosher, you have to dress a certain way, you have to eat in a certain way, you have to do certain things. Everything lines up in such a way that they were following that their whole life. Then they come into a new relationship with Jesus Christ who fulfilled the law and now you're living by grace. And now you're learning to what it means to love God and love others in an agape way, an unconditional way. And then these Judaizers, these, these creeping in, these false teachers trying to pull these believers back into the religious things that they were comfortable with. Why, was they, why were they looking to even think about going back to the old religious ways? Because of persecution. Because when you gave your life to Jesus Christ in those days, you lost everything. You were kicked out of the synagogue. You were not able to get lost your jobs. Families disowned you. That's what they were dealing with. And the Christian, early Christian church was extremely poor. They had nothing. And we know in Acts where some who had money at the time was able to sell things and to help give to others to provide for their basic needs. But that didn't last long. It didn't go well. So here they are. They're at this point. They've given their life. And now they're being enticed to come and drop this relationship with Jesus to walk away and go back to the traditions of religion. And they're going back to sacrificing. They're going back to the things of the law. And the writer says, these six truths, those are foundational. Why? Because those exact same truths are also celebrated and taught in Judaism, in the Jewish faith, and also in the Christian faith. So you can see there was that parallels, and so they thought, oh, these are the same. It's just, it's just, here's what it says was going to happen, and here's what it was fulfilled. We're going to go sacrifice the animal to cover our sins. Jesus says, I'm the one that was the, uh, the spotless lamb who died on the cross. And it was my blood that was shed once and for all. It was the fulfillment. But now they're saying, I don't trust that. Because I want to go back to this, this, these old traditional ways. And I want to go back to something I can do to kind of guarantee that I'm doing something that makes me feel like I'm, I'm pleasing God. And it's that, that works mentality of religiosity that causes the problem. I can work my way to please God. And you cannot. Why? Because if you do, you think then you can boast of all the things you do for God and how he loves me so much and oh, those guys are not doing what I do. Do you read as much as I do? Do you pray as much as I do? Do you serve God like as much as I these things are just religion. It's about a relationship. We don't get to have to do anything. God says, I'm opening a way for you to willingly and want to do these things. So our Christian faith is based on the Jewish faith. Most people don't understand that today. And it's the fulfillment of it. Why? Because we see in John chapter 4, verse 22, that salvation is of the Jews. 
God has always had a plan from the very beginning, starting with the Jews and moving into the Gentiles. That's you and I. And if the readers of this epistle went back to Judaism in order to escape the persecution, to somehow go back to feel like that is more somehow religious and and somehow draws you closer to God, then they would only be abandoning the perfect to go back to the imperfect. To go back to, to, to leave mature maturity and go back into immaturity. That's what the, readers, uh, the writer is saying here. But when we take a look at these basics, these foundational things, notice they're broken up into two, uh, three uh, sets of pairs. The first pair is repentance and faith. The next one is baptisms and laying of, on of hands. They go together. And the last one is the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Those two go together. Let's take those very quickly so you have this understanding. Repentance and faith. The first two truths are Godward. It's upward in that relationship with God. And it marks the intentions or initiation of that spiritual life that one starts. It's repentance and faith. They go together. We see that in Acts chapter 20 verse 21. To repent means to change one's mind. It's not simply some, I feel bad about doing that sin. But it's the change of mind that recognizes that sin goes against God and it has to go. You need to learn to hate the sin as much as God hates that sin. Because if it's just purely a feeling about feeling bad about doing it or feeling about getting caught, then that's just regret and remorse. That's not true repentance. You can stand stabilized and say, oh, I should have never done this. It's terrible. I was really foolish. I shouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have gotten caught. That's just remorse. That's just regret. Repentance means you turn around and say, I don't ever want to do that again. It is sin. It is absolutely evil and wicked. And I want nothing to do with that from now on. That's true repentance. That comes from a faith that God gives us to take the step toward him. Right? Verse one At the end of verse 1, faith toward God. You've taken a step and says, I want to live for God. I'm not going to live for myself anymore. I'm not going to self-please myself anymore. I'm not going to self-exalt myself anymore. I'm actually going to self-deny myself. I'm not going to learn how to love myself. I love myself way too much. That's my problem. I'm going to now die of self. And I'm going to purely live my life for God. I'm going to pursue Him, seek Him with all of my heart and soul and strength every single day. God, what do you want me to do or not do to please you? Very simple question you should be asking yourself every time you're doing and making decisions. Does this please you? And then pause and wait. Uh, you know, we, we've all been there, right? Lord, should I do this? I know I shouldn't do this. No, I should do this. And, and you're having this conversation, you're, you're like, you're schizophrenic. It's like, Lord, no, really, I want to know. Okay, that was two seconds. Okay, I'll go do it anyway. You know, you, I didn't hear from you. 
<laughs> you know, you've been there. Repentance and faith. It is a change one's mind about sin to the point of turning from it. And once a sinner has repented, and understand, where do you get this ability to repent? It's because it's a gift from God. We see that in Acts chapter 5, verse 31, and also chapter 11, verse 18. This is a gift of God to allow us to be able to repent. And then he is able to exercise to do faith in God. Apart from God, we can do what? Nothing. But in him, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. The next one is baptisms and laying on of hands. These two truths have to do with a person's relationship with a local assembly like you ours, to, gathering together, praising God and studying His Word. We, local assembly of believers here. And if you remember, in the New Testament, a person who trusted Christ repented, was then baptized. And then became part of a local church. That's We see that in the very first church in Acts chapter 2, verse 41 through 47. The word here, if you notice, if you're watching carefully, doesn't say baptism, singular. It says baptisms, plural. This plural word here for, for baptisms here, is important because it is means in the Greek to translate it to washings. We immediately think of baptism. We see it in the singular, not the plural. And you mean I have to be baptized more than once? No. This is referring to those days they would have understood this. Because anytime they went to the synagogue, anytime they went to the temple, anytime they were even going to write God's name, as a scribe was to write the name, they would wash. They had washings. Have you ever been to Israel? You will see where they architect uh, architecturally. Um Dug. They dug the ground up and they, um, and they found and discovered these places where, where you go. You walk down into the water to cleanse, to washings before you went into it. Can you imagine? Maybe we should build it as part of our plan. As you have a, a you know, you're going to be washed before you come into the church. Would that solve all the pandemic problem? I don't know. I'm just going to, I won't go on the ch- ch- off on a tangent here. But, but they would wash. They were cleansed. It wasn't to cleanse because they were dirty. They were cleansed because it was a ceremonial washings of saying, I want nothing of the world to be brought into the time of worship with God. So they understood the baptisms or the washings here. Now, some will say, I don't know if I see that. Well, let me give you the Greek here. The Greek translated for baptism is baptismos, M-O-S at the end. It is not the regular word we see for baptism in other parts of the scripture. That is baptismo. Not most, but mo. And you can go back and look at that because this word right here, baptismos, is referring three times in the Old Testament, 
And it's all regarding the Jewish ceremonial washings. You see that in, we'll see that in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 10, Mark 7, 4, and Mark 7, 8. Understand, getting dumped or dunked or to washings can never cleanse sin from a person. 1 Peter chapter 3.21 Baptism is an outward symbol of the spiritual cleansing that took place when you were born again. How were you born again? You put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord alone. There's a transformation that takes place, a regeneration, a born-again experience happens, and what happens there is that from that point, an outward expression to those you're fellowshipping with is to show when you, you want to, that identity of the identification of what your Lord went through, which was death, burial, and resurrection. That is why we do that. Because it's an outward expression of your faith that you've already done in Jesus Christ. Baptism does not save you. The laying on of hands is also a symbol of setting apart a person for Christ's service. So they understood when you've given your life to Christ, you desire to know the spiritual gifts that God has given you. And we would lay hands on you and pray for God to give you the gifts that he desires to give to you. We can't ask. But he ultimately knows what's best of what we should have or shouldn't have to bring him glory for your purpose that he's created you for. It's also the laying of hands is a giving of the of identification of knowing that this person is set apart for the ministry or the service of God. So if we ever send someone as a, uh, a missionary, we would bring them forward, we would lay hands on them and pray for them to send them out to start a new work. To go out into the lands of wherever it is that the Lord has sent to do His work. That's the laying of hands. The last one is resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. This last two truths have to do with the future. It has to do because both the Orthodox Jews and the Christians believed in these doctrines that we're talking about here. The Old Testament teaches a general resurrection. As we study the Old Testament, you'll see a general res resurrection conversation that will come up, but does not make the doctrine clear. They didn't know how that was going to be fulfilled. It was just God was showing and giving examples, but they didn't know how that was going to be. They just knew the Messiah would be coming. But you and I... At this time when this was written, they didn't have the New Testament, remember. They only had the Old Testament. We had the blessing of seeing this all played out in full color. So in the New Testament, it teaches a, the, not only the resurrection of the saved, but it also talks about the resurrection of the lost. Go back to John chapter 5. Verses 25 through 29, Revelation 20, verse 4 through 6, and Revelation 12, all the way through 15. Understand that the scripture talks about this type of resurrection. 
Now we get to verse 3, this short little tiny verse 3, and this we will, what? Do if God permits, if God allows. If, it's not like God says, ah, I don't know, I, I don't really, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I won't let him mature as a Christian. As a child of God, I don't think I'm going to leave. As a, as a heavenly father, I just think I'm going to keep him a spiritual little infant the rest of my life and treat him and talk to him like a baby. No, no. God says, as, as, as permit means according to his will, according to his purpose, according to his way. See, I studied this and it's like, why did the writer have to say, we will do if God permits? Of course God wants his people to mature in their faith and not be playing ABCs and building blocks. So why did he say it? He wants absolute, complete dependence upon God. If we do, if we do go on to spiritual maturity, we will realize that it only happens as God's pleasure and according, according to his will, and we need to be settled with that. Some people really want to do more things for God that God's never really even just, has not permitted for them to do. They self want to do these things. Happens a lot for some reason in the pastoral world because many say, I'm going to be a pastor. I'm sure to be a pastor. How do you know the Lord has called you to be a pastor? Is he permitted? Does he have a calling on your life to do that? We'll see. It's never God's given me, give me a calling to clean uh, the bathrooms. I don't know why no one comes and says, God's called me to clean the bathrooms. For some, yes, we have. Lord, and thank you for sending people who are willing to do whatever there is a need. Same with thing with spiritual gifts. Everyone believes and should have a gift of healing. <laughs> Everyone has a gift of healing. Everyone has a gift of, you know, this and this and this because they're outward signs that people can see. But what about the spiritual gifts that are all internal? that people don't see. I never hear too many people asking for them. But we won't go into that conversation any further. Now, I'm going to say it one more time. Verses 4 through 6 now is the, probably the most controversial verses in all the Bible. Spiritually, struggle through this. And some here may be a, come from a Calvinistic Bent. That's your background. That's where you, you, you're, you take into some of the dietary things. You're listening to someone who's Calvinist. Now, some of you might be an Armenianism, Armenianist, which is on the opposite side. I always have taught it this way. There's one coin of salvation. But there's two sides to that. There's the Calvinist side, the ones who said God chose you. From the beginning of the foundation of the world, he's chose you to be saved and be a child of God. Absolutely agree, completely agree. 
You hear someone who's on that side of that coin mostly will say, once saved, always saved. These, there's a lot of little phrases you may say that identifies where you stand strong. And I agree with that. Scripture supports it all the way through. But I also know on the, on the other side of the coin, there are those in the Arminianists who say, but man, humans have a, have a decision, they have a choice if they want to follow Jesus or not as their Lord and Savior. And guess what? That is true. And I can show you all the scriptures to support that. So the question always is asked, well, are you selected by God only? Or does man have a choice in if they want to follow Jesus? And I say, yes. Doesn't that make it clear? Yes. It is clear as can be to me. He didn't create you and me to go to hell. He didn't create you and me to be something of some, it's going to be damned for life. Anyone who even thinks that has to be out of their right mind. They don't know who God is. God created all of us for what? To worship him for his pleasure. For his purpose. Are you with me? But not everyone has decided to follow Jesus. How do I know this is to be true? Because our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, experienced that same exact issue. Thousands were following him. Were actually able to touch him. Listen to his words right from his mouth. Is able to ask all the questions you would ever want to ask him was right there Right in front of us. And we only see what the, the Holy Spirit has given us in the form of the scripture. But as he went and they chose to follow him, they all had different motives for following him. Some followed because he was healing and they wanted to be healed. Some is because he miraculously fed them and they needed to be fed. Some had leprosy, sickness, it was uncurable, and they wanted to be healed. Some were completely outcasts, and they wanted to be accepted. The oppression of the Roman, uh, the Roman Empire was heavy on the Jews at this time. And they were looking for someone to save them from the government. None of those reasons, even those, those are great things that the Lord has done for us, was not the reason he was sent by his heavenly Father. He was sent on a mission to do one thing, which was what? To die for some people? Or did he come to die for all? Are you with me? So keep that in mind. Now keep it in context what we read in verses chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. Here's the writer trying to address to these believers, these Hebrew believers, they were not maturing. 
They were not growing up. And if you're not maturing, you're not growing up, you're not becoming an adult, you're not going into the deeper things of God, you're not desiring to read the the Word of God, you're not desiring to talk about the things of God, you must check your heart because it's not mature. And there's only one or two reasons why you're not growing. You're not saved. And that's why you're not growing. Or two, there's something hindering you from growing up. You're playing in religion that's causing you to think because you went to church, somehow you're pleasing God. It is pleasing God. But you're doing it because it's a checklist to say, I went to church on Sunday. And you can go down the laundry list of things that a religiosity will tell you you have to do to to somehow make it into the club. You have to give money. You have to serve. You have to do this. You have to do That is not in the scriptures. He says, follow me. And as you follow him, you will desire to do what your Savior does. You will desire and you can't wait to spend time with him and hear from him and do what he's created you to do. You're just waiting for the next, what do you want to have for me today, Lord? I need you to make a phone call and tell this person that they're loved. That's it, Lord? Yes, that is your main mission today. Okay, Lord, I'll do that. Some are very much more complex because that's where you are in your maturity level. But as a writer here, notice here as we read this, verse 4, for it is impossible... We'll come back to that word. For those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. Stop right there. What did that just describe to you? What does it describe to you? Someone who is once enlightened. Tasted the heavenly gift. Partakers of the Holy Spirit. Tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come. You would sit there and say, Oh, I'm talking to a solid Christian. A mature Christian. Right? Face value. But notice what the writer writes here. For it is impossible for those... Read the list of those beautiful, solid Christian things that they experienced, a Christian experience, that spiritual experience in their life. Verse 6, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucified again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. 
And here's the controversial that's been going on for centuries by some great theologians, all these masters of teaching. I'm not going to solve this for you today. Only the Holy Spirit can solve this for you today. I can only share to you what God has given to me, and I will share that. When I look at this, I'm a simple kind of guy. I'm not complex, you know me. I, I just, it's just what I see is what I get here right when I look at these things. And in context, the key word here right in the very beginning, it's a very important word that the writer gives them right up front, it is impossible. Now let me give you that word impossible because some people say, is it really impossible? What is impossible? <laughs> and you start you know, going through this. But these verses along with the exhortation that we will see in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39, have given people such worry about their relationship if they're saved or not. This, these verses were going to cause you concern. Am I really saved or not? And mainly because these verses have been maybe taken out of context over the, over the years, maybe they've been misunderstood or misapplied, but they've been very highly controversial. But I look at very simplistic here. I go, the word impossible. Where else in the scriptures do I see the word impossible used? Is it the same word consistently used over time? That validates what that meaning is. So let's just give you three in the book of Hebrews what this writer means by the word impossible here. It says it is impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6.18. Would you argue over the fact that God cannot lie? Say the word. It's impossible for him to lie. Are you with me? The second example, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 4. You know that to be true. It was just a covering. The only way sin can be taken away completely is by the blood of Jesus. Are you in agreement? The next example we have in Hebrews 11.6 is it is impossible to please God without faith. Are you with me? It's impossible. I want to please God and I don't know if this is of God. Does it, is it requiring you to take a step of faith in that? No. It's pretty lined out. I would wait. I would hold back a little bit. because it, What? It's impossible to please God without faith. Now, people will try to please God without a faith in God. Did you know that? Many people will say, if I somehow, I think I find myself in a very bad situation, I'm going to go give money to the church. Somehow, maybe God will, will overlook what I've been doing. Have you ever seen that? You see it all the time in the news. Big donors. But they have no faith in Jesus Christ at all. It's just maybe a connection to the church somehow, some way from grandmother, grandfather, but, but they don't have a faith. But I also notice in these verses, the writer's writing in a past tense who were once enlightened. 
They experienced something as you as a believer in Jesus Christ experienced this enlightenment. We'll talk about that. It's the ancient Greek word describing an experience as this light shining on someone. A new light shining in the mind and the spirit of the person. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about a change in the inner man. Not an outward experience, but an inner man experience enlightening once and for all. We call it regeneration. So they had a regeneration experience is what the writer is saying here. They were once enlightened. They also have tasted the heavenly gift. That word there in the Greek means to experience the heavenly gift. What is the heavenly gift? The gift of salvation. The gift of God in salvation we see in Romans 6.23 and Ephesians 2.8 reference. They experience an absolute, full, real experience in their relationship as they started a relationship with Jesus. Some will say, Tasted, it doesn't mean he actually ate it. Does it really? I don't play with words. So I look at the word taste in the scripture. Where do I see it in other places used? And if it's consistent, then I'm, I'm pretty good, right? So let me give you the best one that we saw in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Do you remember it? Jesus taste what? Death. Was that a hypothetical? Did Jesus just hypothetically die? No, he tasted death, did he not? So this means he took it all. It was, it was complete. So don't try to take these words like taste and say, well, you know, it's not quite. Maybe he didn't really, you know. No, it's pretty straightforward in the words that this writer is using here. But he not only was enlightened, not only was he tasting of the heavenly, but became partakers of the Holy Spirit. Partakers, that word there is a very unique word and term used in the New Testament, only used here, and maybe one other place. It means sharing the Holy Spirit. Partaking of God the Holy Spirit. It, it has to do with receiving or having fellowship with God the Holy Spirit. And you will only have that relationship if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He says, when you receive, I will send a helper to you. You will partake of the Holy Spirit. You'll partake of of that, of him. And then taste the good word of God. This means they experienced the goodness of God's word. They experienced when they read the word of God, the word of God spoke to their heart. They were helping them to grow and mature. They were going beyond the ABCs and they were just or at least getting the foundation. But they didn't move to the structure of making sure it's solid to be able to live it. They tasted they, the word of God, the goodness and the work, the transforming changes that the word of God does. The word of God says, read the word of God because it will transform your mind. If you're really squirrely because of drugs, you're really squirrely because of your sinful life, you're really squirrely because of the past expe- mistakes and all the failures and things that every one of us have gone through, the word of God can transform your mind and set you free. 
And this person, these people, had the powers of the age to come. This is the, the, the writer of the Hebrews who describes those who experience God's supernatural power working in and through their life. Not only the justification when they got saved, just as if they've never sinned before, but even the sanctification process that we takes us through this life until he, God comes back and takes us home. And as he brings us into the age of, to come, into eternal life, that is when we are glorified. And this, these people that he's writing to says, he says, You've, they experienced all of this. And if you were listening to their testimony and what God had done through, you would say, this person is saved. And the writer now says, it's impossible for them, notice, if they fall away to renew them again to Repentance is not talking about salvation here. It's talking about repentance. Again, in context, he's talking to believers. He's been talking to believers all the way through this. There are some today will say, hypothetically, he's just using some hypothetical situation. If you're not walking really hard, really strong with the Lord, you know it's not going to be good for you. Now, some will go, what he's speaking of is people who got saved, but they haven't really grown up and everything. They're getting into heaven only by the skin of their teeth, we would say. They have no rewards. That's what it's talking about. No rewards. Nothing is going to be blessed. They're not going to have any responsibility in heaven. They're just barely making it into by the skin of their teeth. Well, I would say, is that a bad thing? If you're the thief on the cross who gave his life right there on the cross before he died did he have any opportunity to do anything but just trust in the savior hello no it's not what he's talking about when i look this at this in context when i look at what this saying here is that well, before I give you the position that I hold here, there are some who say that what it's really speaking about here is that those who started well didn't finish well. They chose to go back and walk away, to fall away. Because there's a difference between falling and falling away in the, in the language. If you sin and fell down, you get back up, you keep going. You just, God, Lord, said, so get up, just keep going. You've learned from that, keep going. Keep following me. Falling away means, falling away means I'm not looking to get back up. I'm not looking to, to continue to follow him. I'm not interested. And this is where I leave it here because I know some who have been used by God in the ministry incredible ways thousands of people came to Christ incredible sides of ministries unbelievable it's everywhere it's you can you you can watch their life because everything's on display now with computers but now that person is now going against and actually evilly going against Christians they're like in a reverse on Paul Paul was just 
killing Christians. And then Jesus saved him, and now he's for Jesus. I know some in the ministry who has, was for Jesus for years, and then they turned and said, I never believed in Jesus. Apostasy. Where do we see that in Scripture? Well, the best example I have is, is Demas, right? Paul, we see in Colossians 4.14. Greeting in the letter, Demas says, hi, he's right there, he's a fellow worker, he's doing great. Man, it's great to have him with me. The second time he writes a letter, we see in Philemon, in verse 24, and it says, Demas is called a fellow worker with Paul only. Yeah, he's hanging around. I think he's around here somewhere. And then if you remember when we studied 2 Timothy, chapter 4, verse 10, Paul condemned Demas, and it hinted that he was an apostate. Apostasy. He's completely walked away and wants nothing to do with Christ. Took off running. And then that's where the conversations, were they saved? Some will say, ah, the person must have never been saved. Then others say, no, they lost their salvation. Then others will say, no, you can't lose your salvation. So that is the debate over the scriptures of where you stand on the positions of what these, these verses say. I take the position here with these verses as we look at these, as difficult as they are, I just go back to Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, where the, therefore the writer of the Hebrews means that they retreat back to Judaism, all the religious repentance, all the things that they've gone back to that old religious ways in the world that they follow. If you think you can go back to the religious ways to find safety and persecution, to find somehow you can find this common ground between the people you knew, your neighbors who were uh, Jewish and those who were Christians, and you're trying to find this common ground to make every peaceful thing, if you think you can go back to sacrificing to kind of appease them, or you go back to the dietary laws, or go back to, you know, only can, on the Sabbath day and, and worship that, if you think you're going to be able to repent and to change going back to the old ways, it's imperfect. That's impossible. It's impossible for you to do that. There is only one way. There is only one truth. There's only one way to have a life, eternal life. And religion is not it. A personal relationship with Jesus is the only way. So we're talking about repentance here. The writer's saying, you think you can go back to the religious ways? You think you can follow the things all the religious people tell you what to do and how to do it and all these things? If you think that is what's going to help you to change your life, you're absolutely, it's impossible. You cannot do it through the law. It's only by grace. So don't go back. Don't be deceived. Keep following me. 
And it got harder and harder. Many thousands were following Jesus. And as he continued to teach, he continued to teach the truths of God. And the more he taught, the more he went, the more the people started dissipating and leaving and never following. Remember, the word disciple does not determine if they're saved or not. Disciple means they're just a learner. And many, they're not, we're not talking about the apostles. Again, another example would be Peter and Judas. Were they both in the, around the inner circle with Jesus? Oh, yes, they were. He was even, Judas was even labeled as what? An apostle. But they had two endings, two completely different endings, did they not? Both denied Jesus, but what happened to Peter? The conviction, the change, it transformed his life going that forward. What about Judas? It brought him to hopelessness. Again, you can look at the scriptures, you can weigh it in, and whatever is, is the Spirit of God is settling in your heart, you need to know that you have the surety and the security in following Jesus. And the biggest question is always asked, how do I know for sure that I am called before the foundation of the world that I have been elect, I've been chosen? Did you choose Jesus? Yes. Well, then you were chosen. Well, I, didn't, I haven't decided I want to choose Jesus. Well, then you're not chosen. I think it was Ironside. If you ever the old man Ironside there, great, great uh, teacher. I believe it was in his book. He gave the analogy of the person who sees a door and he says, to receive, you need to enter in. You need to enter through the door. You need to take a step of faith, go through the door to receive salvation. The person goes into the door, shuts the door, turns around and sees the sign. You have been chosen. It's both sides of the door. It's both sides of the coin. And I, 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 I've, I had to settle that way back years ago when these conversations come up and we get to the scripture. And I pray that the Lord is settling in your heart because if you're right now saying to me, not me personally, but you're saying it in your head. I want nothing to do with this whole thing. I, I don't care about Jesus. I just do it because my parents make me. I don't do it because my spouse makes me. I only do it because it's just, it pleases my grandmother. But I really don't have a, I really don't care about following. Then you're not chosen. In the state that you're in right now, you're not saved, even though you may be declaring yourself in a broad perspective that, yes, you were raised in a Christian family. If you're someone here and who's been struggling, if I'm saved, I'm not saved, I've really screwed up a comment, I really can't get rid of that sin here, I've, I go back to the old sins and I keep... Yes, you may be falling. But just because of the fact that you have conviction the fact that you've fallen tells me you're not falling away. 
You're just learning to be, learning how to walk. You're just getting out of the ABCs, infancy stages. And like a parent, you're always watching the kid not to bump their head. That's what I feel like sometimes as a parent. I watch some of you and I'm like, how do I protect them from bumping their head and splitting it open if they go back to the sin that they just came out of? Because you love them. You want the best for them. The Holy Spirit is right there inside you doing the same thing. How do I guide them so they don't fall down? Just get right back up. You must get back up. You must go and, and you need to continue to pursue. Because we see in uh, Proverbs 24, 16, For a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Get back up. Keep walking and following Jesus. You will fall down. We are not perfect. But he says you need to go on to spiritual maturity. You've got to continue to pursue every day in the word of God and in prayer because that is how you will grow and mature in your faith. And you will never ask the question again in your mind, am I saved or not? Because it is such a surety, the Spirit will acknowledge to you, you are His. But I do remember the first year I wasn't sure for the longest time if I was saved or not saved. Because the battle between the flesh and the spirit was so bad. Because it was, I, wasn't, I didn't, wasn't raised in a Christian family. When the light turned on and I heard the word for the very first time and got saved, prior to that, I had nothing. So I had world now I'm following Jesus. <laughs> and I did not know how to handle that. It was a squirrely moment. I wanted the world and everything it offered me. Get rich, big house, travel the world, lots of money, be a millionaire. Oh, it was just, it was bad. And over here, die of sell, let go. <laughs> Trust me, you know, I'm a person, I have to do it. And God had to teach me, no, no, you can do nothing apart from me. But when I'm empowering you, when I'm guiding you, when I am with you, watch out what, how, what I can do through your life. You will be amazed. So I hope today that you have settled in your heart. That you're growing and maturing. And you desire to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus, to have that spiritual maturity. You're, you're, you're done with drinking milk. And you've been chewing on some food, you've been having solid food, but you've been eating from so many sources, now you're confused. You don't even know what, you're, what, you're, what, what you like or don't like anymore. And you're getting bloated to a point where now you're like you're sick and tired of, and you're almost thinking about walking away. Because you didn't get what you wanted from God. Like many who followed Jesus. You didn't heal me. You didn't save my loved one. They died. You didn't give me the job that I wanted. 
I thought for sure. There's, this is not prosperity doctrine. Do you notice that? But how many people come to Jesus because they want the prosperity only? Get what they can get out of them. It's not how it works. But once you can overcome that mentality of that bad teaching and you come to understand that he's your Lord and Savior, it is a freeing experience of his grace working in and through your life as you let the Spirit of God just dominate your life. Because you'll be walking in the Spirit and in truth. Let's grow. Let's go, let's go on to spiritual maturity. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace and your mercy upon us, Lord. I pray if there's anyone here today, Lord, that has not given their life to you, that today's the day of salvation. They will desire to repent the desire to put their complete faith in you, Lord Jesus, alone. That they would settle, that you would settle in their minds, Lord, that they are saved, they have given their life to you. It wasn't just about a prayer, it wasn't just about an experience, but Lord, you are confirming by your spirit now that they are saved and that is no longer a question in their mind. They're going to boldly move forward, go forward, pressing on. As Paul said, I press on toward, forgetting those things in the past, forgetting those things, pressing those, pushing those back, but pressing forward with you. And I pray, each and every here, Lord, has making that decision to press forward, to follow you the rest of the days of their life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Please stand. Next week, we'll pick back up in verse 7. Finish the 7, and it'll take us nicely right into the promises of God.